Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell, coming to you on a Easter Monday. Uh, down south, it's Patriots Day and uh, lots of celebrations there. But uh, yeah, we had a great four day long weekend here. Um, Jason's kind of on like permanent vacation. So uh, we got him off the couch. Uh, oh, no, he's probably still on the couch, but at least out of bed, out of bed. <laughs> Uh, on a Monday, uh, a little early, so we can uh, have some turkey dinner tonight and uh, other festivities and things. Um, so, yeah, happy Easter Monday to you, Jason. Uh, how was your weekend? Happy Easter Monday to you, too, as well. Uh, my weekend was fantastic. Uh, I was able to have not one, but two dinners, one last night, one yesterday, Nice. And then I had a friend of mine take me out for lunch on Friday. So I have eaten exceptionally well this weekend. I feel great. And on top of that, with uh, the numerous dinners I did have, they know me so well that they gave me to go Tupperware. Full of food. You should see my fridge. <laughs> I, I have not seen that much food in a long time. That's all nice. Wow. Good for you. Wow. I know that makes that warms your heart and makes you happy. Uh, for, for your birthday, I got you some Tupperware. Uh, I thought, I thought you'd be carrying that around with you every time you went out for dinner. Well, that Tupperware, once I get my new car, I, I, I'm still in it, that goes right in the car. So it's always ready. Always there. Oh, good. Good to hear. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I know how much food means to you, how much food means to me as well. I don't know. I think we're about on the same level of how much we, we love food and big dinners. Um, I, I'm a little worried right now. I, I, I can tell you I'm feeling a little scared in my heart because I woke up this morning and the turkey was still completely frozen and it was supposed to be left out of the fridge overnight, but it was left in the fridge overnight. So um, as of about 1030 when I headed out to work this morning, I, uh, it was still hundred percent frozen. So, um, I don't know if it's going to be in time. I think by two 30, it had to be into the oven. So it had what, uh, five hours to unfreeze. I don't know, man. I don't know. We might be going to the white spot for turkey dinner tonight. Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I guess, I guess my only, suggestion is turn up the heat you know in place maybe maybe i'll speed it up I have no idea. <laughs> i've only cooked i've only personally cooked one turkey in my life and that was last uh thanksgiving i guess it was and uh turned out great uh, everything worked and i was pretty shocked and amazed because i i don't really even think about cooking ever it just never even crosses my mind so i had to put in a lot of effort and i it turned out well. I'm not the one cooking it tonight. Uh, thank God for everybody. But uh, yeah, just keep your fingers crossed for me. I'll at least get one dinner out of it. You got two this weekend. At least give me one. Please, God, give me one. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get it. I'm sure you're going to get it. And it's 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 always refreshing or or appreciated, I should say. When somebody cooks dinner for you, oh man, I, I've always loved that. I've always appreciated it, and it's just, uh, and I always give thanks for getting such good good meals. Yeah, yeah, 
No, I'm really excited. Uh, my girlfriend, Lorray, uh, she is an amazing cook. Uh, she cooks amazing dinners all the time. And she decided, um, even though her parents are away, her parents and brother are away down in Palm Springs, we're still having a, a family get together and she's making a turkey and, and everything, all the fixings and stuff. So I've been sort of salivating all day. I, I've I got my fat pants on. I've uh, I've fasted a little bit, you know, making sure that I'll be able to get uh, all the turkey in me. And, and I think there's still going to be leftovers, which is always even better. A uh, couple days eating turkey sandwiches and having some leftovers uh, really makes me happy for uh, you know extended holiday. Uh oh, yeah. <laughs> We briefly lost Jason. Oh, we briefly lost you there. Uh, uh, Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Somebody's trying to phone me. I didn't like that. So yeah. Anyways, sorry. Where were you? Uh, I'm just just saying. I like I like when there's leftovers, so my holiday food can last uh, into the week as well. Uh, it makes me feel great when I wake up in the morning and I know I'm gonna get some turkey sandwiches. I'm knowing I'm gonna get a, another turkey dinner extended on into the week uh that's 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 even you know better than uh, you know some of the early uh thoughts of it but having it extended for three days i think it's an important crucial moment yes it is yes it is having extended obviously and then also too just having those leftovers it's just it's so good like it's just so like uh, you see my face you see my face right now see the smile on my face that's how good it is that's why i love the leftovers yeah Okay, well, we had a, a great weekend of sports. Um, I was just, uh, yeah, like inundated. Four games in on Saturday, four games on Sunday, of the NBA playoffs, all, all game ones finally happened uh, after last week's play-in games. Uh, we finally got to see all the matchups together. Uh, there was a UFC card this weekend that turned out pretty good. Uh, uh, boxing uh, took center stage as well. Errol Spence Jr. getting a big victory. Uh, lots going on, but I do want to mention that uh, live here in Vancouver, we had a World Cup tie between Canada and Latvia. It's called the Billie Jean King Cup, and um, some of Canada's uh, top tennis players in the world, uh, female tennis players in the world, were able to come in, and uh, they played amazing. They won all four matches that were, were played uh, down at the Pacific Coliseum. And uh, we had a blast going there. It was really nice to see all the Canadian flags, all everybody decked out in red and white. And, and Canada just played so awesome in the, uh, in the tournament and were able to qualify for the world cup. And um, it was, it was really fun. And I'm so glad we got tickets and went down there. It was really nice to, to see all the patriotism and see the great tennis. Oh yeah, well, hey, we we I'm sure that they put on a great tournament and a great event for fans. And on top of the fact that now that our COVID restrictions have been lifted in this province, you can just see the joy of people being able to, you know, interact with people again. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And getting to go out and enjoy events of this nature, it's 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 always a since it's been taken away from us for so long, it's now even more appreciated than we ever have before. Oh man. I, I, I know it just, you're right. You're so right. I, I just feel so happy when I can go to events now. It, I appreciate it that much more. I, I was a reporter for so many years and 
a lot of times I'd be like dragging my butt there thinking, Oh, I got to go to a game tonight. I got to go to this event tonight. Uh, I, you know, I, I had things to, you know, do in my life. I had things to watch on TV, like all these NBA playoff games and stuff, but luckily we got the PVR now. Luckily I got, you know, a lot going on. I'm always busy guy, so I can, I can juggle things, but it was really good. And, um, I, I was pretty impressed by the crowd, but it should have been a hundred percent sold out. I think the organizers really, really let uh, Vancouver down, let the country down. Uh, it was very, very, very poorly promoted. Uh, almost nobody uh, that I know knew that it was even going on. Uh, the promoters have one job and that's to fill the place. And that's to create a great atmosphere there. And they really dropped the ball. Uh, it was shocking that, you know, such a big event. Um, it wasn't hundred percent sold out. It, uh, it had a lot of things that I can criticize super happy that they did it. But uh, if it's not sold out, then next time that they're putting in a bid to have it in this city or Toronto or Montreal or somewhere else around the country, uh, maybe we don't get considered because it didn't sell out. And uh, I I would have been able to sell it out. You would have been able to sell it out. Uh, people we know could have easily made that place full. But somebody dropped the ball, and uh, I'm really angry at them. I'd like to – I'd actually love to have them on of a podcast and, and give them a piece of my mind because uh, I could have sold it out, and I'm not even a tennis guy all the time. Love the game, love the sport, but, you know, that's your job, and you screwed up. Yeah. Um, then it, it begs the question. It's like, well, how much funds did they have allocated towards marketing for this event? Because like, if it, if it, it sounds like they didn't really do much because no. even I didn't know no. you had to tell me because no. I didn't know that that event was going on. And, you know, for people that are actually trying to pay attention to the sports that are going on in the city for us to not know something that of that magnitude, not ha like happening in the city, but we don't know. Well, then why don't we know? Yeah, it's kind of important. We should know. Sure. Yeah, that's one one frustration I've had with the country of Canada. We promote hockey because it's our sport and, you know, they they do it. But, you know, I could sell out most places in hockey because it's a hockey country. But, you know, basketball, uh, soccer, tennis, you know, a lot of the other sports. Uh, they have hard time. Uh, we see the CFL football. They they have BC Place and they open it up and you get 18,000 fans where it could fit 55,000. Uh, the, the promotion part of things, for some reason, Canadians don't get. Where American has an event like this, they're going to spend $100,000 on promotion or more and they're going to fill it completely out and they're going to recoup that money by all those people buying tickets, all those people spending money, buying shirts, buying this, buying that, and, and promoting it. They're going to get more money because the television rights are going to grow up. The, 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 the broadcasters are going to have to pay more money to actually televise this. And I've seen it so much in the U.S. They promote sports really, really, really well, and, and it's full, sold out. They so, sell out high school football games, college football games. They sell out pretty much any sport. I see them playing cornhole. I see them playing, <laughs> you know, obscure sports, bowling, everything. They they know how to promote, spend money, and then you get a full crowd and you make money off of that. Yeah, exactly. But 
I think one of the problems in this country is is that we're so focused on just one sport that we forget about everything else. Yeah. It's almost like hockey is it, nothing else really exists. Yeah. And that's it can be that's the farthest thing from the truth. We've so had true. yeah, like we've had numerous athletes that have been uh born in this country that have gone on to play baseball, that have gone on to do great things in soccer, that have gone on to do great things in the NBA and basketball. So those are things we have to remember that it's just not hockey here. There's other things that other people love as a sport. Yeah. And so, and we should be promoting those things as well. Sure should be. Uh, I really want to just give the thanks out to Leila Annie Fernandez, Rebecca Marino, Gabrielle Dabrowski, Car Carol Zhao, uh, Francois Abanda, all the girls that came that participated in the event. Uh, Helen Kellesey, who I went to school with, is uh, one of the um, Team Canada ambassadors now. Uh, really phenomenal that uh, she's still involved in the game. Uh, she played tennis at a super high level. Uh, it was really nice to uh, see, Le see Leila Annie Fernandez after her great run in the U.S. Open, becoming uh, you know such a media darling, so fun to watch, great personality, and playing such tennis at such a high level. Uh, she played phenomenal this weekend. Uh, out of the two matches, she only lost uh, six games out of the two matches and, and was really great. Uh, really nice to be able to celebrate Re Rebecca Marino, hometown girl. Uh, she just kept saying how much she just, she was very nervous because it was in her hometown, but she said the love and support just pushed her through and gave her the victories. And, and uh, man, it was, a, it was an awesome event. I was very happy to see so much patriotism, so much Canadian flags. After the protest and all that, and the Canadian flag started getting a little smears on it, uh, it's nice to be back at an event supporting Canada. Yeah, and it's nice to see the Canadian flag being represented the right way, yeah. as opposed to the way it has been represented as of late. So, and I'm glad to see that, and I'm glad to see that, you know, there was people that came out to support the event because it was a great event and it just as you said before i just wish there was better marketing for said event yeah i'm going to put a lot of stuff on the website uh we got a lot of great video we got some great photos we got uh, a nice write-up about the event and uh so go to completesportsmedia.com and you'll be able to read up on all the great things that happened on the weekend i do also want to mention the our team canada captain heidi l tabak she was Really phenomenal. Uh, I have I've watched a lot of tennis and I've never seen a coach get to sit right beside the player and give them in coach in game coaching. And uh, she seemed to make some great adjustments for the boat, all the girls. And uh, we, we got a great victory there. And it's so nice to see us advance to that World Cup status. And um, I, I can't wait for the next event. I don't know where it's going to be. Uh, I think I've heard that we are playing, let's see, I think we're playing the Netherlands next. And uh, so uh, the actual World Cup final takes place in November. Uh, so they're going to be a couple of more um, tournaments and, and ties, they call them ties, to uh, get the, the, the final uh, groups. But um, we're looking good. We're looking really strong. And I think, uh, yeah, we could win it all uh, this year. It, uh, it just might happen. Oh, that would be great. That would be fantastic if we had are are able to do that. 
And at least we put ourselves in the position to do that, yeah. which is which is fantastic. It just goes to show how far we've come in uh, the sport of tennis. Um, I mentioned the protests uh, that happened, uh, the truckers and everything that happened at the borders. Uh, today, I hit a protest. I uh, was turning off of boundary uh, to try to get onto the highway and the um, people that were from, uh, protesting against cutting old growth forests uh, have blocked off the highway and um, huge protest there. Uh, there was police presence, fire trucks, um, you know, lots and lots and lots of police there try to, uh, you know, get traffic flowing again. Uh, I, I, I agree with our right to protest, but I think so many of these protesters are going about it in the wrong way, in my opinion. They're, they're making people angry at them. Uh, they're making people late for work. They're making people uh, late for appointments, for things they're doing, interrupting your daily life. I think you would want more support for your cause. And uh, there has to be a better way. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a protester. I don't go out there and do this all the time. But does, don't you think there has to be a better way? I would think so. I, I, would, I would like to think that there's a better way of getting your point across as opposed to interrupting your life to get your point across. You know, like may, maybe... Okay, so you, you got to protest. There's something you got to say. Maybe then try to take whatever it is that you're trying to get across to a bigger stage on the TV. Like try to get on a talk show or try to get on the radio or just try to get to these, 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 these different media outlets so that your voice can be heard. I, I don't know necessarily, is it beneficial for you to, um, to like I said, interrupt somebody's life to get your point across because now, okay, now I know what the issue is, but do I want to support it because of what you just did? Usually no, I don't, I don't actually want to support oh. what you've just done. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think I supported some of what the truckers were trying to get across the vaccine mandates were, you know, maybe not that great and not that cool for a lot of that cross-border traffic and a lot of the, you know, the things that are going on. I agree sometimes when they protest over the high, uh, gas prices because it's ridiculous. We're paying the highest gas prices in North America. That just doesn't seem right. And it doesn't seem like a thing that we should be doing. I agree with protests. We shouldn't be cutting down old growth forests. We shouldn't be killing seals. We shouldn't be doing this, doing that. Yeah, but there, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Uh, I heard that the protesters last week that blocked off the highway, they all got their vehicles towed away. And the government is seizing them now. They're they're keeping their vehicles. They do not get them back. And, and uh, that was quite shocking. I didn't believe the government was uh, capable or or could do something like that. But uh, you know, some of those vehicles are probably worth fifty thousand dollars, and they just have lost their vehicle. They can't get it back. They I think they're probably going to go to court and spend a lot of taxpayers' money to you know try to get them back. But. Um, yeah, like, I just think, wow, that's a pretty big sacrifice to lose your vehicle over, you know, this cause and uh, good on you. But uh, I don't think you're getting far with what you're trying to do here. Yeah. And also, too, like, so was it worth it? Your car was probably I think you just got it. Let's say it's like sixty thousand dollars and it's gone. <laughs> so was your cause worth about sixty thousand dollars or more? Because if you want to try to fight in court. 
which is going to cost more money. So, you know, people are passionate about what they believe. I yeah. get that. I yeah. get that. I understand right. that. But at the same time, I, I'm like you. I think there has to be a more significant way of getting your point across than trying to piss people off by making them by, by interrupting their life. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's gotta be a better way of doing that. Than uh, I, agree. I, uh, I, I used to do radio in my early careers um, at the universities, uh, university of Victoria, university of Vancouver or UBC and uh, SFU and, and, and places like that. And, and um, there was always a lot of um, very passionate people protesting and I still see some of those passionate people 25 or maybe even 30 years from now. They're still at these protests. So yeah. uh, it's, you know, it becomes a full-time job for them. Uh, I would have thought over 30 years and over hundreds of years of people have been protesting, you could figure out a way to make, get people on your side and have, you know, those, those changes made. Um, yeah. I, it seems bizarre. I, you know, you, you kind of messed up my day. I, you know, I'm trying to enjoy my last day of holidays. Uh, I had to go get a COVID test. So I had to travel through the traffic to go get this COVID test. And all of a sudden, you know, now we push this and now I have to push my dinner a little bit. And then we have a wrap party tonight. That's going to be, I'm going to be late to, and you know, come on, like you made me probably, I would have been a supporter of you if you just sent me a $5 check or, you know, <laughs> something, 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 I would have probably been fully on your side, but today I'm not sorry about that guys. You, you messed up, you lost, uh, you lost support over this guy and, and this guy too, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like may, maybe there's a, like a, a more savvier way of using your social media yeah. to get your point across or something like that. But, Ah, to a certain respect, I think it's antiquated thinking, trying to think it's like, I'm going to get my, really get my point across by pissing other people off and doing this and doing that and, yeah. and like blocking off roads so that people can't get to where they want to go or see loved ones or yeah, I, 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 I think there's, there's got to be a different or better way of doing that, yeah. getting your point across so that people understand what the issue is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's try to fly through. Uh, we've got eight playoff series to go through. I wanted to start with the, uh, the best game of the bunch. Uh, one of the, the series that most people thought was going to be really, really, really close because Brooklyn has KD Kyrie. They've got, you know, quite a, a few good pieces and because of Kyrie's vaccine stance and because of injuries to KD and Harden and all the fiasco that they've kind of had this year in Brooklyn, they fall all the way down to number seven and they end up having to play Boston. Uh, but everybody was expecting this to be a great uh, matchup and man, was it ever a great game? Uh, so many ties, so many lead changes just went back and forth, back and forth, like a heavyweight boxing fight. And uh, in the end, Jason Tatum is the hero. Uh, he ends up getting the game winning bucket and uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. What a what a great start to a series that I'm really excited and looking forward to. And and uh, they were the one to land the first punch. Yeah, and and what a punch it was, and what a game it was. By far away the best game out of the, all the playoff games that have happened so far. And I was super impressed with like just 
the cohesiveness of the Celtics uh, Celtics game uh, on offense and especially on defense. Yeah. That team is tenacious when it comes to their defense. Wow. They are very, very good. They kept Kevin Durant. Well, <laughs> this was probably only be a couple of games they could do this to him. Nine of 24 from the wow. field. Amazing. You know, like he had 23 points, but that's nine to 24. They kept Kevin Durant. So that, that in itself, super impressive. Yeah. But when it comes to the other superstar and Kyrie Irving, I didn't do that well. Uh, he, <laughs> he put out 39 points, 12 of 20, with six assists. He had a fantastic game. Oh, he had man. a great game. He had a great game. Yeah. But totally, yeah. Kyrie, Kyrie is uh, right now the last couple games in the playing game. And this game, he's just on fire. He's he's absolutely unguardable right now, and uh, you know, just dominating. But uh, there was there was a bit of thoughts in my mind that um, this this series sort of rested on who was better, KD or Tatum, and Tatum outplayed uh, KD. Uh, I think the Boston defense, what they threw at at KD, is is the recipe for success. I don't know why a lot more teams don't do that with with Gar- with uh, KD is you, you want to uh, pressure him. He's not super physical guy. You want to get in his face. You want to give him some physical, you know, defense, tenacious defense. And that's what they did. And, and uh, he wasn't able to, yeah, have a very good game at all. Uh, Kyrie played awesome, but when it's just one guy, uh, usually you're going to be able to beat it with a team game. Yeah. And especially with um, the Celtics, they had actually a very, Great balanced attack. Great balanced attack. Tatum was the leading scorer, 31 points, 9 of 18, 8 assists. Brown was next, 23 points, 9 of 19. And then you had Marcus Smart with another 20 points, 8 of 17, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. And then even Al Horford, 20 points, 8 of 13, 15 rebounds. Super balanced attack. They had everybody involved for the Celtics on offense as opposed to two dominance for the Nets yeah. with Irving and KD. And that was the difference. Yeah, big difference, big time. Uh, and the funny thing is, uh, in the press conference before the series started, Bruce Brown from the Nets said that uh, they were really looking forward to this matchup against the Celtics because Robert Williams wasn't there. They're going to uh, be depleted in the middle. He mentioned Horford and Tice not being very good. And, uh, you know, he thought that they would be able to exploit that. Uh, I know that uh, Kevin Durant said, whoa, what is he saying? I, I, I don't agree. I, I, don't, I think he should shut his mouth and not say stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, he paid the price because Horford was even better than, than Durant. And Tice was throwing in his mix there, too. Horford with 20 points and 15 rebounds? Like, that's a very, very dominant performance for a, for a veteran like that. Yeah, it's a huge dominant performance. And KD knowing better then uh, Mr. Brown is basically saying, don't give them like bulletin board material. Don't give them stuff so that it can just amp themselves up. That, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be very subtle. Just be like, oh man, they're a great team. It's going to be a hard series. Don't give them stuff so that they can now build upon that and say, they're looking down upon us. They don't think that we're that good. Right. Well, then let's show them. Let's yeah. show them how good we actually are. So. 
I don't normally cheer for Boston. I'm a, I'm a New York guy typically in most of my sporting loves. Uh, so I'm not really a Boston lover, but I was cheering for Boston in this game. I, I probably will be cheering for them in this series. The only thing that sways me a little bit towards Brooklyn is Steve Nash. And I think Steve Nash made a mistake at the end of this game. I have to say, I think he should have ta- uh, taken a timeout. I think he should have set up his defense for that last play. And um, I think they were run, running around uh, like chickens with their heads cut off, scrambling around. Uh, the ball came down and had Jalen Brown had it. Uh, he threw it across to Smart. Two guys ran at him and just do a blue do uh, did a blow by by them. They were completely off the court. Once he realized that, he throws it to Tatum, Tatum who had to just spin around Kyrie and get that uh, game winning bucket. Uh, I think. Uh, unfortunately, Nash made a mistake there. I think they should have set up their defense and they, they, you know, they had, um, yeah, uh, they, they just didn't, they did just didn't look like they knew what to do. And uh, it, it, it bit them in the butt. Yeah. I agree with you uh, that uh, if they had told the timeout and then they'd set it up, then people actually absolutely know what their defensive uh, uh, positioning should be and uh, who they should be getting on defense. And they would say it seemed discombobulated and then giving Tatum the chance to pirouette around Kyrie and get that layup off in the nick of time, by yeah. the way, just, just in the nick, in the nick of, time. of time. Like it just went off his, his fingertips with yes. less than a second to go. It was, uh, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it was his first buzzer beater game winning shot of his playoff career ever. And it's the first one since 2010 uh, for a Celtics player since uh, the truth, Paul Pierce in 2010 and uh, Boston fans uh, were just so delighted. Uh, The the crowd was really, really, really intense. The entire game, they obviously uh, exploded when that, the bucket went through, Uh, but they were getting into it with Kyrie quite a bit. And I was really surprised Kyrie's been around. He's, I would consider a veteran now. And uh, he started engaging with them. He gave him that uh, middle finger salute. Uh, he's going to get fined. He's going to be in trouble with the league. Uh, could you believe that he was letting uh, any of the cat calling get to him like that? Yeah. You know what? At the end of the day, he's still a human being. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know that obviously when he left Boston, it, it left a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouths. And just the way that it went down and all that sort of stuff. But there's been a significant amount of time that's passed since then. Yeah. But, you know, fans got long, long memories, long yeah. memories. Yeah. And so at least going forward, now he knows what's going to be up every time he goes to Boston. So he's just going to have to control his emotions and then use that as fuel for the fire to do more big games like this. Have more 40 point games that will shut fans up. I play a lot of uh, fantasy sports. Uh, DraftKings is my uh, go-to, and I, I, I put a lot of time and effort into creating the best lineups. And and um, KD is normally on my lineup, no matter what he's going to, you know, provide you. Uh, do you think I should be putting money on him for their upcoming game? Oh, what, you mean uh, money on him for scoring points or winning the game? Scoring points. Oh, yeah. well, first off, we're talking about KD. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Because as well as Boston did for this first game to shut him down, 
Well, that's not going to be every game because that's Kevin Durant. You're, you, you can do that maybe once, maybe twice, maybe even three times, but that's not going to be for the rest of the series. You are not capable of locking that man up for the entire series. Not happening. Yeah. The funny thing is most people play DraftKings and they see what a guy did last game and then they decide, nah, he, he didn't play well. I don't think he's playing well right now. And they'll jump off of him. So this might be a time where I can get him at his lowest ownership and I might be able to actually uh, really beat everybody else because uh, I can see a lot of people jumping off the KD bandwagon over one bad game and, and how well Boston played against him. But I think that's really silly and ridiculous because he's yeah. he's one of the most dynamic scorers to ever live. And yeah. uh, so I think he's going to f- uh, watch some tape and he's going to be able to figure out what they did and he's going to be able to exploit them and uh, I think he's going to have a monster game in that second game. Yeah, because that's what he's done and that's what he does do because he's done it already before. All right, like he's has past history of okay, I had a bad game. All right, whatever. But I'm Kevin Durant, so I'll probably bounce back pretty good in the next yeah. game and then the next game after that. You can only stop that guy for so long. And that that's just that's what superstars do. That's what future Hall of Famers do. Yeah. You can only stop me for so long until I I get you. Eventually. Uh, can you stop Kyrie? Well, it's just, I think it's the same to a certain extent, the same, but not the same because I put Durant as a better player than Kyrie, even though Kyrie is incredibly gifted. I still put Durant ahead of Kyrie, but it's still the same thing. Um, he has the capacity to go off. He has the capacity to win you games, but he can be locked up for a certain amount of games but not every game in the series. Again, that's not going to happen with him either. I think, I think it's one of those, those situations for the Celtics where, okay, those, those two guys are going to probably going to get their points, but if we can lock down everybody else. You know, like that's what's going to give us our best chance to win this game. Or if we can kind of lock out one of these two and make sure that they have a tough night at office in shooting and always, always contested shots. I think, and that I, I believe that's where the Celtics have their advantage, and I think that's where they're going to win this series. Yeah, uh, it's been an, a remarkable turnaround for the Celtics team. Uh, a lot of people were saying Tatum and Brown cannot work together; they're just two similar players, and and I just don't see it ever working. I even heard Charles Barkley say, "Blow this thing up, you know, get rid of one or both," and. And, you know, I, I was like, I, I don't know about that. I think that, you know, they can coexist together and play really well. Uh, but I was super impressed with Marcus Smart or, or, as well. Uh, they forced so many turnovers, uh, just tenacious defense. And um, so much of this team is, is really, really great to watch. Uh, I'm amazed that they've been able to um, come from not very well in the beginning of the season. Somehow, I think they were even like a couple games under 500 in January. And then they just turned it on and they were the best team down the stretch through the rest of the regular season. And, and uh, they're a real threat to Milwaukee, Miami. I think, you know, they could really, really challenge for this uh, Eastern crown. Yeah. And, and, but a big part of why they had that turnaround in the second half of the season was Marcus Smart was the fact that he took on the challenge of being the point guard and making sure that the ball was distributed to where it needed to be during the flow of the offense, during the flow of the game. 
He made sure of all of those things. And because of that, he's become a better player, a better floor general. And then, you know, not only is he doing that on offense for the Celtics, but he's also doing that on defense for the Celtics as well as being one of their best defensive players. Oh, he sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. Uh, okay, the last thing I want to mention about this series at this moment is that uh, Ben Simmons supposedly is 100% pain-free now, expected to actually be on uh, full practices this week. Um, they, I don't know, but it seems like uh, he's trending in the direction of at least giving it a shot. Uh, he hasn't played all year. Uh, can he make a difference without playing all year if he does get some time? Well, I guess the good thing is that we know about Ben is he's not going to be shooting, right? So, you know, like, I guess if he can play some defense and help them on that end, then that's a bonus. But at the same time, I got to see it to believe it first. I I really do, man. I got to see the fact that he's actually going to take the court. The fact that he's paying free, that's fantastic. Doesn't mean he's actually going to play this series. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it just, it just doesn't mean anything to me at that's, this point. I, I got to see him take the court. I got to yeah. see him. Yeah, yeah, me as well. So, well, uh, second game of that series doesn't go until uh, Wednesday. Uh, it's the four o'clock Pacific uh, start time, seven o'clock Eastern start time. Uh, game two, uh, they they for some reason are putting a couple days between. Uh, th- their game is Wednesday, and then they don't play game three until Saturday. So. Uh, yeah, we've got to wait a few days for that. Uh, I wanted to kind of go from the best games on and on, but I think we should right away uh, go into the Raptors uh, because most of our fans north of the border here are Raptors fans now, and um, they had a, a big game against the 76ers. And because they're a, a 4-5 matchup, they gave them the Sixers a lot of trouble this year. Uh, they went on a really good run to end this uh and the regular season, I think a lot of people started trending in the in the favor of the Raptors to take this series. But uh, game one, it wasn't close. It wasn't pretty. It was uh, complete domination by Philly, especially Joel Embiid. Uh, Tyrese Maxey was probably played the greatest game of his life. And, and uh, also the Raptors had three of their guys go down with injury. Uh, supposedly all three are doubtful to play in, in game two. Uh, and uh, it was tragic. Uh, they're playing uh, today for game two. Um, I think they're in big trouble now. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to trend in the direction of this. This could be a sweep, maybe. It, it could be. Because it's unfortunate with uh, Scotty Barnes' injury where Joel Embiid literally just stepped on his foot, sprained his ankle. All right? That's just... 290 pounds of wow. human being stepping on your foot and ankle as it's twisting. Uh, I don't see him coming back for a little while. Yeah. Like, and yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a big man stepping on your, your foot in a, in a prone and in a bad position for your ankle. So with that and Gary Tent Jr. It's looking like he's going to be out along with Thaddeus Young, all doubtful. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that probably none of those three are probably going to be able to play for the game too. And so and that's problematic going forward because now you don't know when they're going to be able to come back or if they can come back for the series. And I love the fact going with Philly 
the way that Tyrese Maxey has elevated his game, not just in this game, but this season. And he seems to be the perfect third between Harden and Embiid. Like, like he's like perfect. He's a slasher. He can jump out and hit the three and he is explosively fast. Super quick. I I was super impressed with his uh, performance. 38 points, 14 of 21 from the field. He, He played exceptionally well. And the other guy that played exceptionally well for um, Philly that I need to mention is uh, Tobias Harris. Yeah. 26 points, 9 to 14 from the field, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. He played very, very well in the win over the Raptors. Yeah, uh, Tobias Harris, uh, when James Harden came over in the trade for Ben Simmons, I really thought that uh, Tobias took way a backseat and he was just really non-existent in some of those matchups that at the end of the season. And I was starting to wonder if, uh, you know, he was on the chopping block, they were going to start looking to get rid of him. But uh, yeah, he, he emerged as a, as a scoring threat as he's always been. And uh, yeah, he played great. I thought um, the other guy that, uh, you know, you failed to mention much of is James Harden uh, 14 assists. Uh, you know, that's, that's probably his playoff high. Uh, I never checked out that, but uh, you know, he's, He's not normally a guy that's going to be that that uh, point guard, uh, you know, as much. Uh, but uh, you know, he's taken a back seat to the scoring of Harris, and uh, I think that was smart of him. Uh, he, you know, he's he's not as physically in shape, I think, as Harris, and so you might as well, uh, you know, dish it off to Embiid and Harris and let them take it. Uh, Maxi played phenomenal, and that guy's got the young legs. Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was a great performance by Philly, full full on. Yeah, great performance. And also, too, hard and smart enough to know that when he's distributing the ball because the ball's in his hands as the point guard, that he's going to give it to the person with the hot hand. And he was very, very good at doing that for this particular game by making sure that Tobias Harris was being fed the ball along with Tyrese Maxey because they were hot. Yeah. From Philly. Uh, Scotty Barnes, you mentioned, uh, you know, probably winning rookie of the year this year. Uh, he, he was able to contribute a lot, 15 points, 10 rebounds and eight assists and, and really, uh, was a, a force in, until, uh, that injury, uh, they're going to sorely miss him. His energy his uh, you know, his, his toolbox, he can, he can really just do so much out there. Uh, that that's going to be big. Gary Trent jr. Is a big loss. He didn't, uh, he didn't light it up on the scoreboard, but uh, he, he definitely can. If, if they double team uh, Fred Van Vliet, I, you know, I see him being able to get those open shots and, and sinking them. Um, and Thaddeus Young, another guy that, you know, they're going to pr- throw in there. Nick Nurse is going to utilize to try to bang with Joel Embiid. And, uh, you know, the Raptors thought that uh, they could, you know, utilize their 6'9", six, 6'9", six, six, sort of base, uh, out there and really uh, mess with Embiid, but uh, I think they're really lacking that size that they need with to, to shut down Embiid inside. He was, uh, you know, able to get whatever he needed, and and when they doubled and triple teamed him, he was smart, passed it out to the other guys. Yeah, exactly. And so now for the rest of the series, since they're lacking in size down the middle, Embiid might be feasting for the rest of the series. Yeah. He's they're they're definitely going to try to step on the neck of the Raptors. As they, as they just keep feeding and beat the ball down the middle. That's what I foresee for the rest of this series. 
Yeah. Uh, so game two goes tonight, uh, 4.30 Pacific time, uh, 7.30 in the east there. Um, yeah, I, I feel <laughs> worried about the Raptors. They went on such a phenomenal run where they – Oh, might get in the play, uh, play-in game and then all the way up to uh, sixth position uh, or no, fifth position. And, you know, you thought, wow, this, this could be a pretty favorable matchup. But after game one, not looking pretty. Uh, do you think Nick Nurse can figure out how to do it? He is a, you know, a genius. We talked about him recently. Uh, do you think he's able to, you know, somehow get this team to, to a big win and, and splitting this series before they go back to Toronto? Um, the mad scientist Nick Nurse will do what he needs to do. But really what it comes right down to at this point in time is the fact that he needs his best players to step up and play their best basketball. And that right now would be between, I'd say, three players of Siakwam, who actually did have a pretty good game, 24 points, 9 to 18, 7 assists, Fred, Freddie Van Fleet, and then he he actually had a pretty good game too, 18 points, 7 to 12, 6 assists. And I think the other, the dark horse of the three that needs to really step up would be OG Ananobi. And yeah. he had a good game too as well. But I think those three need to elevate their game to a certain extent for the Raptors to be even have a chance to beat the 76ers. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, we'll see um, how it plays out. But uh, yeah, Toronto's in big trouble, especially with those injuries that they they suffered. Um, okay, I want to go to a game that most people are considering an upset over game one. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves were able to come in at uh, seventh position in the West and facing the Memphis Grizzlies, who were the second best team in the whole association this year, and uh, pull off a big upset. They came in riding a high after winning in the play-in game. And, uh, you know, I was, like, thinking Charles and Shaq were were nuts for starting to pick them as actually beating Memphis. But, um, man, what a first game for them. And, uh, you know, to win 131-17, two top-scoring teams in the league coming in. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, very incredible performance by those Timberwolves. Yeah, I... I'm looking at this series and I think this is possibly probably going to be the most entertaining series of the bunch because you have a bevy of young superstars on both sides of the basketball that are playing against each other. I love the fact that Anthony Edwards is taking the challenge and guarding John Morant. They're going mano a mano. And that is fantastic to see. I I love the way that uh, Edwards played. First playoff game that he's ever played in, 36 points, six assists. He played exceptionally well. It seems like the bright lights are not deterring him or uh, making him uh, lack in any way in his performance on the basketball court. Carl Anthony Towns, terrific game as well. That dunk that he had in the second half. Yeah, yeah. that was a poster. That was definitely a poster. Yeah, that was definitely a poster. Now he finished 29 points, 13 rebounds. And then John Morant, amazing amount of jaw-dropping, like moves, and dunks. That's just – I. this is the one series that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on because I think this is going to be a battle. I think this is going to be a very close series. And on top of that, it's just going to be super entertaining because look at, look at, the, look at what we already saw in game one. 
They're just the highlights and the dunks and the amazing moves. I love this series. I love the fact that this is like, this is like almost like an exhibition of the new up and coming talent for the NBA. And this is where our future is going forward. Oh, big time. Yeah. Uh, This is actually the first time since 2004 where the top two scoring offenses met in the first round. So uh, unfortunately, one of these two are going to go home after this series, but uh, they both scored over 115 and a half points a game uh, this year. And um, yeah, this is going to be electric, super fun, back and forth, not tight defenses, uh, lots of really phenomenal scoring. And uh, yeah, two really young teams that are on the up and up and looking great. I'm excited. Uh, it was it was it was really 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 fun game to watch and uh, it's going to be a fun series. Uh, I love these young guys, like you mentioned, John Morant and, and Anthony Edwards. Man, Anthony Edwards, you know, came in pretty highly touted. Another one of those number one picks. Minnesota had quite a few in that uh, four or five year stretch, uh, but uh, he's looking like maybe the best of the bunch. And and um, the other thing that was a, a little concerning for Timberwolves fans were. Even though they won that game, the play-in game against the Clippers, Anthony Towns had a horrible game, didn't play well at all, and they, they still were able to get the win. But this game, he was dominant again, 29-13, as you mentioned. And, uh, yeah, he just asserted his all-star dominance. And that dunk over Jaron Jackson, man, that's going to be uh, on the highlight reels in Minnesota for decades. It was awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. It, it actually looked like he, he even got a little bit higher when he took off. Like, yeah, I, don't know I know. I that. saw a little, like, extra little bump uh, somehow. Yeah, as he was up there and it looked like he was at the peak, then suddenly there was another little level that he went to. I don't know how he did it. Uh, somehow, on air, he was able to push himself another little notch higher. It was It was cool. I had to watch it over and over, like, how did he do that? How did yeah, he yeah. get that extra little jump? Yeah, and I, I I did it myself. I watched the game where I'm like, I swear he actually elevated again when he was already in the air. And I, I still don't know how he did that. Yeah, but it was yeah. Incredible yeah. yeah, watch that, people that are watching this. Uh, it was crazy. It was amazing. Uh, the other thing I thought was hilarious were uh, his dad and Jaws' dad started chirping at each other and having the little contest on the sideline. And then they came and hugged each other after because it was like, hey, you got me. Yeah, you got me back. Ah. <laughs> and they, the two dads of them went and hugged. Did you see that part of it? it was I, I missed that, but I think that's awesome. I, yeah. I think that's fantastic. That's that's great, man. That's great. It was it was so great. It was super fun to watch. And and uh yeah, this series is gonna be one of those must-see series that we're going to be talking about for years to come because I think both of these teams are going to be title contenders down the road and and it's just too bad one of them has to go home after this first round uh, they play tomorrow uh, their second game it's 5 30 tip off here on the west coast 8 30 in the east so we're um, yeah we're excited excited for that series for sure uh, okay let's let's turn to uh, the Warriors. Uh, I want to talk about um, them coming in. Uh, not sure if Steph's going to be able to make it. If he's going to be able to play at all. Uh, all of a sudden, they're like game time decision, and then they say, "Yeah, he can play, but 
He was on the bench to start only the third time in his playoff career, uh, came off injuries before, and they decided to ease him into it. Uh, he did not have a game. He did not uh, really, you know, uh, be the stuff that we're used to seeing. Uh, but the Warriors were dominant, even though he, he wasn't, uh, you know, his self and uh, really put a beating on Denver. Uh, you know, Jokic played great, but uh, the Warriors were able to turn to Jordan Poole, who really emerged because Steph was off the court at the end of the season there, missing those 12 games. And Jordan Poole was on fire. Uh, even having Steph like long distance threes and uh, played the best game of his life. Yeah. Uh, Poole was the one that led the way definitely for the Warriors win. Um, coming in with like a 30, 30 point game, had a huge game. And also, too, when you got a guy that's been playing as well as he had in the last couple of months, it affords Steve Kerr the ability to say, well, I just and I can just bring stuff off 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 the bench, and I don't have to rush him back in. Yeah. I do not have to do that, which is fantastic. Great luxury. Because, great luxury. Yeah. yeah. Great luxury to have. And and hey, Jokic did what he could. He almost had a, a triple double: twenty five points, ten rebounds, six assists, along with Will the Thrill Barton, twenty four points, six boards, six five assists. The only thing I can say about this series is I believe the Warriors will eventually be. Um, the victors in this, but this series would be very different if two two players uh, for the Denver Nuggets were in the series, which is Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Jamal Murray. Yeah. This would be a very, very different series if those two were available. Unfortunately, they're not. Yeah, unfortunate for Nuggets fans, uh, Denver faithful. Uh, Jamal Murray had a, an absolutely massive playoff for them a couple of playoffs ago, and Michael Porter Jr., he was – he was super dynamic and, you know, yeah, it, it would be a really tight matchup. Uh, three, three, six matchups, usually definitely one-sided typically. Uh, but uh, if those two players were in, uh, it would be the, a big, big dogfight. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, first game goes to uh, Golden State. But um, do you think Denver has any shot in this series? I think they, I think they, they, Man, it, it's it, like I said before, it's going to be super hard for them to win this series. And then uh, Jokic, unfortunately, has to be the engine for every single game for the Nuggets. He has to be absolutely on point at the top of his game for all of these games for them to even have a chance to beat the Warriors. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's I, at this point in time, I think it's kind of highly unlikely. Jokic will get his numbers. He will play fantastic. It's just the rest of the team that is somewhat lacking compared to, compared to the Warriors team and their squad of players that they put out there on the court. Yeah. Um, I heard uh, this mentioned as a pool party. Jordan Poole uh, has a pool party. Uh, he's the second player in NBA history in his playoff debut to have 30-plus points and five, and five or more three-pointers made. And Kyrie Irving is the only other guy to have it done in 2015 with the Cavs. Uh, so uh, an incredible performance by him. Um, I, I saw Steph out there. He didn't look like he was limping. It didn't look like he was favoring his foot or, um, you know, was uh, diminished in any way. So uh, that was a good sign. 
at least, um, you know, he seems to be 100% healthy and seemed to be fine with not taking a lot of shots. He missed his first five shots and was able to finally sink a layup um, on a goal 10. But uh, are you concerned with Steph coming back a little too early or uh, do you think they're easing him in properly? I think they're easing him in properly. I, I think they're taking their time. And I think that because they have the luxury of a Jordan Poole that can start and that can get two buckets, I don't think they have to rush him back necessarily. I, I don't think they have to rush him back at all. And and the fact that Clay Thompson has been coming back into form as well, I, I think you you have the ability and the luxury just to slowly bring Steph back until Steph is finally back. I think uh, if if I was uh, if I was the coach of Denver and uh, Brendan Malone, I would uh, employ uh, a a big, big, big uh, front court. I'd have Boogie Cousins and Jokic out there at the same time. I think Boogie has, uh, you know, a lot to prove because he's had some injury troubles. He's a former warrior, knows that team pretty well. Uh, I would uh, exploit the lack of size with Golden State, and I'd have both guys in there banging and crashing, giving Draymond all he can handle, Kevon Looney. And uh, I think that's the only way they could be more dominant uh, than the Warriors in any other aspect of this game. Going big is obviously an option, but here's the thing. Then the Warriors will probably just uh, be more on the perimeter and try to spread you out and take advantage of the fact that now you have a lot of bigs on the court. So now it's like, I'm just going to drag you away from the paint, you know? So, but at the same time, it's not to say that that can't work. But I think it's worth a try by Michael Malone to give it a shot and see where they're we see where they're at yeah. and see if it can actually do some damage. Michael Malone, I should have said Brendan is his dad. Yeah, Michael Malone. Yeah, <laughs> okay, thanks for correcting me. Uh, game two, we've got the Nuggets and Warriors today. Uh, it's a seven o'clock tip off uh, back in San Francisco, so um, can't wait for that one. Looking forward to seeing that come together. Uh, okay, uh, we, we've covered those. Uh, let's see. We should, I think we should cover um, coming up next. Why don't we cover the, uh, why don't we cover the Jazz Mavericks? Okay. Uh, very, very low scoring game. One of those kind of games that you reminded you of the 90s, uh, <laughs> super defensive and uh, not a lot of scoring, uh, even though there are some very prolific scorers on, on both sides of the ball. But um, I guess this just comes down to uh, nobody was able to step up in the avance, absence of Luka Doncic and, and push this team forward. Uh, they had them at 92-91, and then the, la- the late run by Utah to get this win. Um, Luka supposedly doubtful uh, game for game two. Uh, you got to feel sorry for Mavericks fans and and the Dallas faithful, because uh, if Luca was there, I think they win this first game and they, they probably win the series, but uh, without him, uh, I don't think they have a shot. Yeah. And that's the difference with having a transcendent talent on the court or off the court No, on the court. You probably win the series off the court. Now you don't probably win the series. <laughs> and, that, and then and that's just how much of a difference he makes the impact he has on the game. Yeah. Um, Jazz were able to steal a game, and in in the in the Mavericks uh, on the Mavericks court, and that's a big deal. 
And that is going to help them immensely, especially if Donkic can't go in game two. And who knows when he can come back in the series. The more wins the Jab has while Donkic is out, the better chances, obviously, they have of winning this series. And the more that he is out, the worse the Mavericks, you know, are put themselves in or behind the eight ball. So, but uh, Mitchell had a fantastic game with 32 points, six rebounds, six assists, along with uh, Bogdanovich, 26 points, five rebounds, four assists. Like, Jazz did what they needed to do to get the win. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the Mavericks fell short. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really too bad. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a, an amazing talent, and you know you can't take anything away from him. That's one of the reasons why Utah's been you know such a dominant team in the last few years. Uh, him and Gobert, but uh, Gobert's lack of offense is really always harming him. I can't believe that he doesn't work on that every off season. He only contributes five points at seven foot three. Come on, like what the hell? You got seventeen rebounds. And you can only get five lousy points. Like that is a really, really, really frustrating thing for anybody that watches these games. Uh, you know, I, I think when you're that size and that dominant inside, you should be able to put up 20 points a game. And uh, he doesn't. So uh, that's their Achilles heel. Uh, the other thing I want to mention about the, uh, the jazz was Royce O'Neal got one bucket all game. And it was the, game-winning bucket that helped push them across. Uh, I know that Shaq always talks about the others and those guys that need to come, you know, come off the bench or, or step up and contribute. And uh, yeah, to, to not score all game and they, they fire it over to him in the corner and he sinks that three-pointer to win it. Uh, pretty bizarre, but uh, yeah, they're going to do it with duct tape and a lot of other pieces for Donovan Mitchell, but He's pretty with Bogdanovich. Yeah, he can have some big games, but but you know you can never count on him. You know, solid games, game after game after game. But uh, yeah, it's this really hinges for sure on Doncic. Uh, but Mitchell, you know, is such a force. I wish he had a little more pieces around him because he might be able to you know uh, go for a title one year. But uh, you know, I just don't see Utah having enough. Yeah. And depending on how this uh, playoff series goes for Utah, they could have very, very big implications yeah. in, in their roster construction. They may have to make moves. They may have to move Gobert and go in a different room. You know, like there's, there's major, major questions about this team going forward. But right now, as it stands, they've won game one. And they're looking at game two with the fact that probably Luka Doncic is not going to be able to play in game two. And so if they can take advantage of that and be up 2-0 in the series, that really puts them in a great position to win said series. Oh, especially when the first two games are in Dallas and, you know, now they're going back to Utah for games three and four. And uh, I I was really disappointed in Spencer Dinwiddie. I thought this was his opportunity to show that he could be the man. He could, uh, you know, put the team on his back and win. Uh, He definitely dropped the ball. He, He really wasn't a force. Uh, Jalen Brunson is fantastic, but he's a little small, uh, you know, hard to, you know, dominate at that size game, game after game, especially when those two Dinwiddie and him were really the only two scorers. Uh, but Dinwiddie, uh, yeah, he had this opportunity and I think he, he really failed at it. Yeah. He, he still had a solid game, but 
they needed more from him. Right. And, and that, and that was, and that's the thing. Like if you're missing your, literally your superstar, um, then other guys have to step up. And normally what you do, unfortunately, is not going to be enough. You need more. Yeah. And so I'm very curious to see how the Mavericks respond in game two and see what changes they do uh, defensively to maybe try to slow down Donovan Mitchell to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to. Yeah. And uh, you know, Gobert is, is such a, a bad matchup for all their centers. Their centers were thoroughly all played. We got Canadian Dwight Powell, uh, you know, four points, five rebounds as the starter, not good enough. Uh, Maxi Kleber came in to try to, you know, get something. He only had four rebounds in 24 minutes and, and Davis Bertanza came in and helped a little bit there as well. And, and he only had three rebounds, four points, um, you know, thoroughly outplayed down the middle. It, uh, it was a very big mismatch there, even though Gobert didn't throw any offense on the board, uh, 17 rebounds, uh, out dominant, out rebounding their entire front court, uh, you know, five, six guys, uh, is not a recipe for success for Dallas. And uh, yeah, it looks, it looks tough for them moving forward. Uh, okay. Why don't we, why don't we turn to the top of the West and talk about uh, Phoenix. Uh, they came up against new Orleans. Uh, they won, I think 28 games more than them in the regular season, a uh, big mismatch on paper. And uh, Phoenix was able to have their, their way with them. Uh, it was it, this, this probably is going to be a sweep. I think, uh, you know, the, the Suns have been the best team by far this season. Uh, I think they're hell determined to avenge that loss of last year. They were up two games to none on Milwaukee, allowed Milwaukee to win four straight and get that title. I think this is Phoenix uh, title to lose this year. And, uh, they started off well in game one, a uh, very dominant performance in, in beating New Orleans Pelicans there. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like uh, they had a very efficient night at the offense. They showed exactly why they're number one in the NBA, as far as I'm concerned. Um, they were in control of the of the, the game for the entirety of the game. Yeah. And at no point in time did I feel that they were really threatened. No. I'm going to be honest. I, I just I didn't see it. Paul finished with 30 points. Almost had a triple-double, 30 points, 7 rebounds, and 10 assists, along with his running mate, Booker, with 25 points, 4 rebounds, and 8 assists. And it was, they made it look real simplistic and easy. Yeah. They, they really did. Like, their offense was flowing. Everybody was involved. And with the fact that McCollum did his part for, on, on the Pelican side with 25 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists, and Balatunas had a huge game. Yeah. Actually, yeah. 18 points and 25 rebounds. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, they fell short. And I think they're going to continue to fall short for the rest of this series. I'm, I'm shocked that he only played 31 minutes. He played 31 minutes and he got 18 points, 25 rebounds. Like, if he plays, you know, he plays most of the game, what, you know, what kind of rebounds are we going to be talking about here? We're going to be talking about Will Chamberlain type numbers. Like, Wow, he was amazing inside. DeAndre Ayton is no joke. He's one of the greatest up-and-comer young centers in the league. But uh, Valanciunas was awesome. and uh, But New Orleans, um, yeah, just didn't have it. Uh, you know, McCollum had a pretty good game with 25 points. Ingram, 18, not bad. 
I think Ingram, you know, should have had more and, uh, you know, they're going to have to rely on him to have in the thirties to have, have a chance to, you know, win this game. Uh, one thing that just kept jumping out to me was that the Suns assisted on their first 10 field goals. They were, you know, really distributing the ball incredibly. Chris Paul has come into that organization and showed them what it takes to be successful, get the ball to the open man and let him, him score. Uh, Devin Booker played great. And, and Chris Paul just, oh man, he's just such a joy to watch. Uh, just, you know, at, at such a high level, uh, being a point guard at his size and, and just having incredible success as a floor general. Uh, you know, it, it's just a treat to see a guy this late into his career still playing at such a massively high level. Yeah, it, it, it is. And just to see the fact that how he's uplifted the entire organization was just the way that he carries himself, the way that he plays. And the fact that, you know, he's still doing this at an advanced level, like that at an advanced stage in his NBA career, he's still one of the best point guards in the league and still getting it done. And it's, uh, I'm just super impressed with his play and the way that he's managed these young players on the Phoenix Suns team to have the championship mentality that they need to win. Yeah. And CJ McCollum is a guy that I can see doing that, uh, stepping into this young Pelicans franchise and being able to be that veteran, being able to be the guy that uh, really can solidify them. And uh, they, they have had a, a really, really great year just making the playoffs and coming in and, and being able to represent uh, was phenomenal for them. Uh, th- they started one in 12 this year. They were three and 16 at one point this season and to mm. make the playoffs. Uh, they have the, the second worst record in history to start a season 13 games in and, and make the playoffs. The Phoenix Suns in 96, 97 started 0 and 13 and finished 40 in the next uh, 52 games, 40 and 12 they were, and uh, they made the playoffs. The, the Pelicans this year, 1-12, and 12, and then uh, went 36 and, and finished 36-46. and 46. And to actually be able to come in, win that playoff games, win the playoff games and get in there. Uh, the Cavs and the Bulls, Cavs in 84-85, and the Bulls in 67-68, all were 1-12. Uh, the Cavs finished with the same record as the Pels. And the Bulls finished 29-53, somehow made the playoffs with a 29-53 record. Don't know how that happened. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, to, you know, this to me was just an accomplishment, just even making this the playoffs and being able to go there. Uh, once they get Zion back, and if he can come back uh, fit and healthy, uh, with Ingram, McCollum, Valanchunas, and, and uh, Zion, uh, this team will be a force next year. Yeah. They got a great lineup. It's a, it's a great roster. Um, and I'd love to see what it looks like when Zion is actually playing on the team. Like, what does this team look like with that guy yeah. now added to the mix? I think that they have a great future ahead of them. But we need to see it once Zion is actually able to fully come back and is completely healthy. Yeah. Um Trey Murphy's a young, really great uh, scorer they got there. I'm impressed with him. Herb Jones, really good uh, for his rookie year, um, playing, you know, one of the starting guard positions, start the playoffs. Um, you know, I think the, the sky's the limit for them, but uh, they're coming up against a team that's 
right at the top of the league and, and should win it all this year with Phoenix. Uh, it would be, it would actually be surprising to me if they do not win it all. Uh, the other um, part of the series that's kind of cool is Monty Williams was a mentor for Willie Green, the coach of the Pelicans. Uh, Willie Green accepted the Pelicans job last year in the final while they were playing against uh, Milwaukee. And uh, he went over their best of buddies. They hang out all the time outside the court, but uh, inside the lines right now, they're enemies. And, and uh, Monty's got a full, full uh, gun, full of bullets. And, and, and Willie just doesn't quite have everything he needs. And I think, uh, yeah, this is, this is a four-game sweep, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a four-game sweep, in my opinion, too, as well, because the disparity between the two game, uh, two teams is just it's, – it's, it's too wide for the Pelicans to overcome. Yeah. Okay, uh, I mentioned Milwaukee a bunch of times there. Uh, I think they're, they're my favorite to come out of the East, and I think it's going to be a rematch final. Uh, let's talk about them against the Bulls. Uh, this was another one of those 90s kind of uh, playoff games, uh, super low scoring, uh, very defensive struggle. Uh, even though, you know, there is a lot of offensive talent on both these two teams, uh, this was a really, really tight game. Uh, Milwaukee didn't really seem to be in very much trouble uh, with this with this game, but um, it was close in the end. Uh, what did you think out of this one? Yeah, it was close to the end because the Bulls made it close in the fourth quarter. And that's that's what I saw. But the fact that, you know, the Bulls are still missing one of their best defenders in Lonzo Ball, I think still hurts them defensively. Yeah. Fantastic to see that Caruso is actually back with the team and is uh, contributing Her in playing, that respect. Playing great. Yeah, playing playing, great. playing fantastic, playing fantastic ball. But and but at the on the other side of the ball, it's great to see that uh, Lope, Brooke Lopez is back with yeah. the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, he's and great. that's significant. Yeah, very very significant. Big time. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, he he played he played phenomenal, and he's he's a very key piece uh, for them. Uh, I was really surprised when when uh, Chicago went on a run and tied the game at 64. Uh, they were, you know, giving them a bit of the run. And then all of a sudden, Milwaukee put together another run, uh, put some separation with them. Uh, I, I thought um, Middleton struggled for some reason. Don't know what uh, was wrong with him, but uh, he was not his normal self. Uh, you usually can count on him for 20 points at least. And, uh, you know, to only have 11, uh, he had a, you know, five five assists uh, or five rebounds, six assists. But um, yeah, you, you normally can count on him for about 20 points a game. Yes, normally you can. And you know what? That's not going to extend for the rest of the series. I'm sure he's going to have a bounce back game immediately for the next game. But I was more impressed with actually Vucevic pretty much equaling Giannis in points. Yeah. And so like neutralizing him to a certain extent because Vuce had a, had a good game. Yeah, maybe not so much in the field goal attempts, but 24 points, 9 to 27, but 17 rebounds. 17 boards, yeah. 17 boards. And then with Giannis, like I said, when they neutralized each other, 27 points, 10 to 19 from the field, 16 rebounds. Yeah. They both had huge games. So now if if Vooch is able to continue to keep neutralizing Giannis, that actually gives the Bulls more of a chance to win some of these games in this series. 
I believe personally that the Bucks are a better team and they will win this series, yeah. but the Bulls could make it tough for them going forward. There was a, a ton of fouls called early in this game, and I think it uh, definitely hurt both teams. Uh, Giannis had five fouls and had to sit late. Uh, usually we're going to see him playing a bit more than, than he did. Uh, they even sat him in that last minute, uh, which surprised me. I thought um, maybe they were sitting him in case it did happen to go to overtime or st- something, but he was really angry when he was taken out and, um, you know, the, usually you see him play in the last uh, three minutes, uh, but to, to be taken out in that last minute with the five fouls, uh, Zach Levine also had five fouls and he wasn't uh, normally his, his great self. Um, but I saw both, both Middleton and Drew Holiday, uh, you know, just were a little off on this game. I expect we're going to see a ton more from them. Uh, Brooke, Brooke Lopez, um, great inside, but also had a couple of massive three pointers down the stretch. And then the last minutes that uh, really uh, separated, separated the, the two teams and um, Vucevic did miss on his opportunity for three pointer. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, I think Chicago uh, played a little bit above their head this whole season. And I think, um, you know, when they faced tough, stiff competition, they, they did not play well. And I think Milwaukee will probably take this. Uh, I think it's going to be five games. Uh, it could even possibly be a sweeper. It could be possible. It could be possibly. And it could possibly be closer. Okay. Because if you look at the Levine and DeRozan, they had horrible shooting nights at the office. Six and nineteen for Levine with eighteen points, and six and twenty-five for DeRozan with eighteen points. If they can be more efficient and score more, they give the Bulls a, obviously a better chance of winning these games. Yeah. But that's the point. They actually have to be more efficient for the Bulls to have a chance at winning this series. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, game two doesn't go until Wednesday, uh, 6.30 tip-off Wednesday game. Uh, as of now, it is the only game. No, no, no. We've got a few games on Wednesday. Nets, Celtics, Sixers, Raptors, um, Bulls, Bucks play on Wednesday. So uh, the late game, Bulls and Bucks play on Wednesday. Uh, only series we haven't covered now is Miami-Atlanta. Uh, let's talk about the, the Heat uh, they put a big beating on Atlanta in this game. Uh, this, you know, should be a mismatch, uh, one versus eight. And, uh, you know, Miami has been uh, the best team in the East pretty much all year. Uh, Atlanta just squeaked in there with a couple of uh, – or with a big win in, in the play-in game. Uh, and Clint Capella getting hurt, uh, supposedly out at least a week. Uh, huge blow for Atlanta's chances to – um, do kind of what they did last year in the miraculous playoff run they went on. Uh, I think that was just a, a, a just too big of a blow that they're not going to be able to recover from with against a Miami team that's so balanced and, and stocked in every way. Yeah, and they, they are significantly balanced and stocked in every way. Uh, it, it, super unfortunate what happened to Clint Capella because as I watched the replay, that was the slowest moving, oh, like into an injury that I've ever seen because the guy was slowly falling backwards. And Clint, I think, thought, I have enough distance that I'm not going to get hurt. But he still fell into his legs, which caused a knee injury. 
which was uh, extremely unfortunate. Yeah. But with that being said, I don't think the Hawks have a chance of winning this series anyways. I think the Heat are way too good. Yeah. And with the, 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 the fact that everybody for um, the Heat really seemed to step up, especially, especially Duncan Robinson, yeah. had his best playoff game he's ever had, was pretty much perfect almost. Nine to ten from the field, twenty-seven points, eight of nine from three pointers. Oh, awesome. Could not miss. Yeah, awesome. could not miss. Yeah, yeah, he played great. Uh, he's had a, a down year this year, but uh, yeah, he was he was hot from outside, and uh, yeah, once they gave him the ball and gave him the shot, he was sinking them. And um, I I was really shocked at the numbers for Trey. Trey Young does not get held to eight points. Uh, that this had to be a, a low moment for him. And um, yeah, I, I guess Miami figured out the recipe to, to shut him down for this game. Yeah. I don't know if they can shut him down for the rest of the series, but for this game, they definitely had the recipe. He had a horrible shooting night at the office, one of 12, eight points. And then the Hawks period had a horrible shooting night from three, only hitting 28% of, the, of their threes as opposed <laughs> to Miami that hit 47% wow. in large part due to Duncan Robinson. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, game two there goes uh, tomorrow at four 30. That's the first game uh, to uh, Tuesday, uh, four 30 back in Miami. And uh, yeah. Anything more you want to mention about that series or anything that we haven't covered yet? Um. You know what? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm just going to be keeping an eye on how Butler does for the rest of that series. Um, he was 9-15 to 15 and 21 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. reason why I say that is because Butler is the leader of that team. And I, as far as I'm concerned, the way he goes is the way that team goes. And as long as he's playing strong and effective, then that team is going to be ridiculously hard to beat. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so as I mentioned a few times, we've got three games today. Raptors and Sixers kick it off at 4.30 Pacific. Uh, Jazz, Mavs at 5.30. And then the Nuggets and Warriors at 7 o'clock Pacific tip-off. Uh, all game twos. Uh, one game in the book in all eight series. And uh, stories are emerging. Things are happening. Um, I hate the guys get hurt this early. It's got to just feel so tough to get hurt in game one or be hurt in the last game of the season, like Luca was and can't play. Oh man. Uh, you just feel for these guys. They, they spend all 82 games getting ready for the playoffs and to be out uh, this early or not even be able to play at all. Oh man. What a, what a drag that has to be. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it sucks because you're just so close to the goal and now you can't reach said goal because you're injured. And it's disappointing. It's disappointing to the fans. It's disappointing to you if you're a set player. But it is the name of the game. And there's a certain amount of luck that goes into every playoff series, every playoff like team that goes into the playoffs. There's a certain amount of luck that has to be had. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we see it every year. And uh, it's, it's shocking that, um, yeah, that, you know, a lot can just wage on one guy, you know, that's, that's the game of basketball. One guy gets injured and, you know, with Mavericks, Mavericks had a real good shot of winning the series without Luca. 
I, I don't see them winning it. Uh, isn't it amazing how one guy can make such a massive difference in the NBA playoffs? Yeah, it, it is. It is amazing. But at the same time, when you see said player play like Luka Doncic, you go, well, you kind of get it because he's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. He's incredible yeah. player to watch play this game. And so if you lack that guy, going to be really hard for you to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying that he was your favorite player in the NBA, maybe a year or two ago, uh, you know, especially when they were coming here to Vancouver to play that exhibition game against the Clippers. I, I remember you saying, Oh my God, we're getting to see my favorite player play live. This is so great. Yeah. He's definitely one of my favorite young players to watch play the game because he just, to a certain extent plays it the right way. Yeah, he does. Like he, he just plays it the right way. And I like, I love the fact that you can never speed him up he always plays the game at his speed and it's, and that's just the way it is. You, you cannot speed him up. Even if you're on the defense, the man's just going to play it at his speed and there's literally nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I thought Boston, uh, you know, made KD play at their speed and uh, it was a shocking uh, match. Uh, it was a, I mean, shocking win for Boston and uh, you know, to, to shut KD down like that, never seen it. Don't remember ever seeing anybody be able to do what they did. And, uh, but that was the game of the weekend. Uh, really fun to watch. Probably the series uh, out of this first-round matchups that I'm most excited for. Uh, looking forward to all these games. I hope it goes seven and we get to see, uh, you know, just such a titanic battle between these two powerhouses. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more from this series. And, uh and more from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as they go up against Irving and Durant and just uh, seeing who the best team is that's going to win, which I still believe is going to be the Celtics because I believe they're the better team. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, enjoy the rest of the basketball this week, Jason. Uh, you're lucky you're off. Uh, it's got a silver lining to be not working and getting to see all these games. Uh, I'll have to be watching them on PVR like I did a few of them this weekend. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's turn to the UFC. They had a, a card back in Vegas, uh, UFC Vegas 51. Uh, the main event had a battle between uh, number five and number six in the welterweight division. Uh, Vincente Luque, number five, against Bilal. Remember the name, Muhammad, number six. And uh, Bilal came up with the best performance of his career. Uh, absolutely rock solid. Great game plan. Took Luke down a lot, uh, even beat him on the feet, I felt, and was able to get a, a dominating uh, four rounds to one victory. Uh, didn't do it in exciting fashion, but got the win he needed to get to start getting that really top upper echelon of this division. And also, too, I believe he avenged the loss that he previously had to Luke. Yes. And yes. knew what he had. Like, the thing that I'm super impressed with Muhammad's game plan is that him in his corner had a perfect fight plan for Luke, yeah. which is he's going to pressure you, so allow him to do that. The thing that we need to concentrate on is to make sure that you have a gas tank that will last for five rounds for the, for the game plan that they have had set up, which is constant side-to-side -side movement. Yeah. And then with that side-to-side -side movement, pick your spot when you shoot. Yeah. I, there was many times where Luke was either caught him coming in 
or that he was slightly off balance. And it was always a perfect shot. His mm-hmm. timing was incredible to get him mm-hmm. to the ground mm-hmm. in those grappling exchanges. And that was what I was most impressed upon, pressed, impressed by Muhammad by. And the fact that he was able to incorporate that style for five rounds, yeah. which is absolutely insane. Yeah, the, it, it blew me away. Perfect game plan. Absolutely, uh, you know, to a T. Uh, he was talking in the uh, fight week about uh, it doesn't really matter that he beat me before. I'm not I'm not utilizing this as a revenge fight. And then after in the post-fight press conference, he said, no, nah, I was lying. I, 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 he beat me. He knocked me out. I didn't even make it out of the first round. I, I'm telling you, I really wanted to avenge this so bad. I was 100% lying when I said it didn't matter. It mattered a lot to me. Uh, you know, it's been six years that's been hanging over me, and I, I finally got him. And, uh, you know, that that's motivation, six years going, uh, it, it really showed in his performance. And, uh, you know, I don't think he could have fought a better fight. No. And and to, to a certain respect, I, I still think Luque should not be dropping too far in the rankings whatsoever because Muhammad won, but Luke did not make that easy on him. He still was able to battle to his feet every time he got taken down, but he was able to be controlled for a certain amount of time pretty much in every round. And that's what won uh, Bilal Muhammad the fight. And Bilal Muhammad was able to pot shot him on the outside of doing his back back and forth, his side to side movement skirting the outside of the octagon. But, you know, Luke still had some great shots, still wobbled him, I believe, in the second with a with a short left, short left hook. Yeah. And so Luke was incredibly dangerous throughout the entire fight and had a chance to win guy, the entire man. fight. But yeah. as we already mentioned before, Muhammad's game plan was absolutely perfect. And he did it to perfection in the octagon. Yeah. Uh, do you think um, Bilal is underrated? Do you think a lot of people don't talk about him much as being a, a contender for the title? Uh, is he uh, is he forgotten sometimes when people talk about the upper tier of, of that division? I think so. I, I think I you know what to a certain extent. I think both of them are. Both yeah. of these fighters are kind of forgotten in that particular division, but they're both incredibly dangerous fighters. And easily, easily could threaten the top five or top four in that division at any point in time. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, both of them have, you know, won 10 fights uh, since that uh, fight that they had. Uh, actually, no, this was Mo- uh, Muhammad's 11th win since that. Uh, he's only had uh, one loss. It was a decision loss to Jeff Neal since that 2016 loss to Luque. Uh, he faced Leon Edwards and he had a no contest because he got an eye poke and he couldn't continue. Uh, but he's been on quite the rise. He's been beating so many people. Uh, he's he's really good on the feet. A lot of people were talking about him being just only a one-sided fighter because of what he did with Wonderboy and, and took Wonderboy down so much. But he said, hey, you know, why would I? I'm not a kickboxer. Why would I fight Wonderboy kickboxing? Like, you know, I knew my advantage was on the ground and I took him to the ground. So, uh, but he's beat Damian Maya. He's, he's beat uh, a lot of really good fighters on this rise. And yeah, I, I think you start having to, you know, talk about him in that title picture very soon. Um, okay. So there's Usman. Okay. And he's supposed to be fighting Leon Edwards 
from all accounts, that that's going to happen. Uh, we've got Kamzat Chemaev now, and uh, he's supposed to be fighting against um, Covington. Uh, Colby Covington. Yeah, I don't know why the name escaped me for a second. Uh, if, if those four uh, do fight each other, then uh, I guess he has to fight one of the victors coming out of those uh, out of those two matchups. Could be, could be. How about this? I'll I'll say it like this: If Chamaya beats Covington, he fights Chamaya next. If Usman beats Edwards, but if Covington beats Chamayev, I think maybe then you grab Bilal Muhammad to fight Covington. Okay. And then whoever wins that fight then would fight Usman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That, that makes sense. That That's a good, that's a good call. And uh, yeah, uh, that that's a really dynamic uh, top six right now. I think uh, I think Luke and Muhammad just switched positions and, and yeah. you know, uh, one through six, uh, really really tough guys and and uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for uh, the next three or four fights coming out of this division. Uh, it's becoming really a fun division to to watch. Yeah, it's an amazing division to watch because you look at your top six and you're just like, that's a murderer's row, but at the same time. The champion is just that much better than everybody else at this point in time. Is yeah. is is the the powers that he employs? He's at the height of his powers right now, and yeah, those whoever's going to challenge the champ has their hands full. Yeah, very much. So. The only other guy I can see stepping into the mix uh, in case those those two fights happen and and maybe they can't happen right away is Gilbert Burns. I can yes. see Bilal Muhammad facing Gilbert Burns. Uh, you, a lot of times the UFC wants to pit guys that have both won, but Gilbert still being in that uh, number four slot, uh, I can mm-hmm. see them uh, putting Bilal uh, against him, and then that will settle four or five, and then you know the upper two tiers will assert each other too in, in two fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see that too. I, I, I can definitely see that, that possibility happen happening because everybody in the top six are super close in uh in in what they bring and skill set and everything else yeah yeah and then uh the top the rest of that top 10 has a uh, wonder boy in seven masvidal in eight sean brady in nine and neil magny in 10 but uh, i love that top six and uh super excited for more welterweight battles we'll see what comes together uh okay uh, there was some controversy in this card, and there's been a bunch of controversy lately from uh, illegal strikes that happen in these matches. Uh, I think the USC has to figure out uh, a, a game plan moving forward, has to make it uh, a unified rule that once this happens, this is what we do. Uh, we've seen too much of a gray area, uh, three or four different scenarios when illegal strike happens and uh i don't know you, you, i think everybody's confused and doesn't really understand what's going to happen now but um in this co-main event uh we had a guy who was dominating and then he throws an illegal knee uh the dagestani fighter cannot continue and uh they go to the judges scorecards uh it wasn't done with peter yan all jermaine sterling uh but um you know it's done this way there was another incident a couple more incidents on this card, even alone. Uh, you know, nobody really knows what to do, but uh, what should we be doing going forward when a guy just throws an illegal strike 
uh, it goes to the cards and, and now he doesn't have to fight the rest of the fight and, and run the risk of losing. Uh, maybe the Dagestani fighter gets him down and puts him in a submission in that last minute and wins the fight. But he doesn't have a, a, a chance going forward because the guy threw an illegal strike. Why should that be penalized against him? Like, that seems crazy to me. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know what we do, but uh, I don't like the way it is right now. It's 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 a difficult thing to figure out because it, then what you're asking yourself is, do we have a blanket way of doing this? Like, so if this situation arises, we always referee it this way. But at the same time, it's the referee's decision. It's subjective. So they're not always going to be the same or the same rep is not always going to make the same call in the same situation, yeah. which is what Dan Murgulada literally did on this car. Uh, two similar situations, but he made different calls, I believe, in both. Yeah. So so I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, do, I don't know because yeah. at the end of the day, it's always the referee's call and how they want to officiate said match. Now, with this particular one, you know, Omar was doing the playing of the hand, hand on the mat, hand on that hand was on the mat. So that means you cannot throw that knee strike. And that was one heck of a knee strike. He, he did not hold back on that knee strike. Oh, it <laughs> incapacitated him. You know, yeah. it, it, he didn't, he couldn't continue. And, and I really looked like he was, he was really hurt by that knee. Oh yeah. No, he was, he was super hurt by that knee, but it was unfortunate because up until that point, a Baral Hayho. Oh, man. Anyways, that dude dominated the fight. His ground game was a thing of beauty to watch. Was able to take his back, even in the second round where it looked like he was too high, was about to fall off his back. Subway managed to stay stuck to him yeah. like glue and still managed to wrestle him down to the ground and stay on his back for the second round. I, I was... Very impressed. And I was also very impressed with Baral Hejo and his timing when he threw the flying knee. Yeah. Threw it twice. Yeah. Connected twice. Awesome, yeah. Really hard thing to do. He had great movement. Uh, he was really, really great. Exploited any mistakes that that uh, uh, Omar Gadjev uh, made. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was an impressive performance. Uh, this is a, a Dagestani fighter that came in undefeated uh, on a really good rise and, and, and fighting uh, really tough opponents coming in. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, to be able to uh, do so well on the ground with a Dagestani fighter is very tough and very rare. And it was a hell of a performance, but um, you know, he, he should have been penalized a lot more than just one, you know, one point taken off of, of his off his scorecard when it wouldn't have mattered because he was already winning you know he, he won two rounds and was winning the third round uh but uh you know i just don't think that a fighter should be penalized for receiving an illegal strike and that's what happens in this fight because i think that uh you know gadjev still had a shot to win this fight he still could have easily um, you know, done something on the ground, got a submission win. And to be robbed of that by an illegal strike, it, it's not right. It's not right. In, and I don't want to see that ever happen again. Yeah, because he couldn't continue because of said illegal strike. But that since it's deemed as an accidental strike, 
But at the same time, are, is any you could actually argue is any strike accidental with your intent to throw it? You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Your intent was to throw the your strike. Intent, you're intending to throw a strike to you know hurt the guy. I, I don't see any anything not being intentional. It's you're throwing a strike to hit a guy. That's intentional, right? Yeah, yeah. That has intent written all over it, right? So, so there is that argument to be made, and it is unfortunate with the fact that it goes now to scorecards, and it's just like, well, I got hit with a legal strike. I couldn't continue, but then I lost the fight on points. So. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. I really don't. I don't know what the answer is to that going forward. It's a tough situation. Very tough situation. Yeah, tough situation. Um, okay, the welterweight bout uh, that happened between before that, uh, Andre Fialo got performance of the night, 50K bonus for his big knockout uh, late in the first round against Miguel Baeza. Uh, really lethal strike that uh, uh, ended up putting Baeza down and out. Um, very, uh, very impressive performance by Fialo, who, uh, it was coming in off his second fight, uh, took a short notice fight uh, in his first fight, took a loss, but uh, came in and looked uh, really awesome in this one. It looked fantastic. Actually, you know what? Both fighters looked fantastic. It looked like I was looking at two fighters that were looking in the mirror at each other, fighting each other, because right. they both fought kind of the same way. Yeah. Had great diversity of strikes, great leg kicks, straight punches, not too many hooks. Super amount of power from both men. Um, and just that Fialo managed to get the better of Bieza because I think Bieza was a little bit... Um, he he was negligent on his defense and didn't get his head out of there once they got into the clinch. And I believe Fialo must have fed him four uppercuts, rocked him, yeah. and then sent him crashing to the mat with, follow, with a follow-up left and then just a ground-and-pound finish. I was super impressed by that. Beza was not happy because he felt that the fight should have kept going, but I thought that it was a good referee stoppage. I thought he was done. Yeah. Once you can get that hand on the back of the head and you can just keep feeding him uppercuts, <laughs> usually guys drop, and that was what he did. He was yeah. able to get that hand there, and you know you can just pull the guy's head into your shots, keep yeah. doing it. Usually a guy's legs are going to buckle. Uh, referees these days, when a guy goes down from shots like that, typically they're jumping in. You, you, you know, just don't go down if you don't want the fight to be stopped because, uh, you know, 90% of refs are, are stopping it after, uh, after getting knocked down that severely. Oh, yeah. And, and then also, too, with the follow-up strike once he did get to the ground, I think if I remember correctly, I think I saw his eyes kind of start to roll up into the back of his head. And also, too, that's a good indication by the ref is, oh, it looks like he's done. <laughs> it looks like he's done. That's, I'm going to stop the fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, very bizarre, but uh, this women's bantamweight fight got fight of the night. Uh, both girls got 50K. Uh, really surprising that this was the fight of the night. Uh, <laughs> were, you, were you quite surprised when you uh, heard that? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? Okay, so both ladies did great in this fight. I don't know if this should have got fight of the night, but I know that Yaman did what she wanted to do, which was an incredible amount of movements and making it difficult for Bueno Silva uh, to get off her strikes. But it was very clear to me, too, who was by far and away the more powerful striker. 
whenever Bueno Silva hit Yanan, Yanan moved. Yeah, she she moved. She physically was moved across the octagon. So it was very obvious to me who had the power in the striking department. I just felt that I know that Silva won. I thought she could have thrown more though. Yeah, could have been yeah. more involved. Yeah. And honestly, to be a to a certain respect, I thought Yanan. This could have been a split decision where Yanan actually gave herself a chance to win because I thought she was by far and away the busier fighter in this fight. Oh, Bart. very much so. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very uh, funny. But, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, who made the decision, but uh, they called that the fight of the night. Um, I, I thought there was better fights out there. But, um, yeah, they, they at least uh, they get to pad their bank accounts a little bit and, and move forward. Um, okay, the uh, I, I, I really enjoyed this uh, Pat Sabatini-TJ Laramie fight. Uh, it was... Um, it was unfortunate. Uh, Laramie uh, hasn't fought in a couple of years and was coming in with a bit of rust, uh, fighting a really tough guy in, in Sabatini. Uh, I, I, I don't see a ton of Canadians right now emerging at the top uh, of many divisions. And so, uh, you know, I'm hoping that guys can uh, get some more fights and get some more experience, get some more wins. Uh, Laramie was big, really game in this one, but um, Sabatini used his wrestling. Uh, very impressive and was able to get the decision win here. Yeah. He used his wrestling to his, obviously to his advantage. Laramie was game, but eventually you saw, you began to see Laramie wilt and Sab as Sabatini began to wear on him, wear on him more and wear on him more. And then in the third, I thought he kind of, he literally broke him. And the fact that Sabatini, <laughs> what a, what a fantastic gas tank. He barely, he didn't even look tired in this post-fight interview. He didn't, didn't look like, didn't look like anything. I was very impressed. Impressive win by Pat Sabatini for sure. Impressive win. Yeah. In the featherweight division, he's uh, tied for the third longest active win streak at four. Uh, both Joss Emmett and Mozart Elvalev all have four. Uh, Bryce Mitchell has six. And at the top of the division, Volkanovski and Arnold Allen both have win streaks of, of nine. So, uh, but Pat Sabatini, four wins in a row in a in a great division. Um, yeah, I see bigger and better things coming uh, for him. Uh, okay, let's talk about this amazing fight that that kicked off the uh, the, the card, um, pay, the uh, the pay per view main main card. Um, Arj uh, Arj Losa, I think his name is, uh, fought uh, Momzar Laziev. Uh, it was. Uh, only four days notice that, that Losa had to come in on to fight this killer. Uh, I thought he did a really, had a really good battle. There was a stand-up war that just kept going on and on, and they were exchanging great, great shots. Um, I thought for Loza, you know, four days notice and coming in and, and fighting this guy did well. Uh, but I thought uh, Lazez uh, definitely deserved this decision. Yeah, I, I thought he had the greater diversity of strikes. He had great feints to try to draw Losa in, but I'm still impressed with Losa's uh, his offense. It like for four days' notice, he did actually ex exceptionally well against oh, yeah. a very very gifted fighter in Lazes. Uh, but at the end of the day, especially in that third round where he finally Lazes finally let some of his combos go as opposed yeah. to the one strikes, right. you yeah. you could tell that there was definitely a difference in quality between the two fighters. Once he decided to actually throw combos, 
Yeah, was I wonder, I wonder why it took him so long. Why did it take him so long? Like, yeah. Was he worried? Was he being cautious? Is that why? But, yeah, he didn't throw a combination until the near the end of the fight. Yeah, I think it was because he was cautious. And I think, to a certain respect, I think he respected Moses' power. That's why he didn't put himself into the fire, so to speak. So, Okay, speaking of power, uh, <laughs> the, the, the feature fight on the prelims, had two powerful, powerful heavyweights. Uh, when I look at William Knight, uh, if I saw him in a dark alley, I'd be running the opposite way. That guy has one crazy, scary-looking body. Uh, such a short guy. So friggin' built and stocky. Uh, if he connects, uh, look out. Uh, it, was, it was a crazy great fight between him and the brown bear, Devin Clark. But um, it was so funny because... They were up against the cage near the end of the fight, and I think it was um, I think it was uh, Dominic Cruz that said, uh, "I think this is about the time where William Knight is just about to unleash his fury on Clark and and take him out of here." And all of a sudden, Clark just reversed it, was able to get him up against the cage and land some shots. Uh, first an elbow, then a left, then a right, and and took Knight out uh, with some fury behind the punches. It was an amazing knockout. It was crazy. Not yeah, and I, I, I was impressed. I was impressed because like both men are super dangerous, and with Clark, with the way that he's able to drive through his man because those tree trunk like legs, cool. I think he's and like his legs are literally bigger than Williams Knights, which I think William Knights like, how is that possible? Your legs are bigger <laughs> than mine. That's amazing, and, and so. He was very good at getting the takedown with the like like masking it with a punch or a strike first that he always landed, and yeah. then getting the takedown, yeah. and then eventually now Knight is concerned about the takedown, and then I think Devin Clark used that to his advantage when he did his strikes up top when they were up against the cage, and took him out with power that powerful left hand, so, rocked yeah. him, and then he was able to take him out. Like it, I was impressed, and like I said before. Last weekend, somebody was getting getting knocked out in this fight. You're I said right. that, yep. and it definitely happened. I knew it would happen. You were right. Yeah, he was. Uh, wow, uh, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was impressive fight, man. These two specimens are awesome to watch, and yeah, you just knew when they stepped in this cage, somebody was not going to be standing at the end of it. And you were right for sure. Uh, it was. It was awesome. I love those two guys, and I can't wait to see them again. Uh, okay, we got to kind of blast through because we're running out of time. But um, uh, I did want to mention the Drakkar close Brandon Jenkins fight. Uh, I, I I loved hearing that Brandon Jenkins got into mixed martial arts because his father fought Tank Abbott back in the day, and he had a v, uh, VHS copy of his dad fighting. Tank, uh, it's not on Tank's official record of mixed martial arts battles, but somehow they fought somewhere, somehow, and it became on a VCR tape, <laughs> but kind of cool that Brandon Jenkins became a fighter from that. Uh, but Jakar Close um, showed that uh, he was, he is tough and mean, and I cannot believe the beating that he put on Brandon Jenkins, how many shots he gave him. Uppercuts, we talked about that holding yep. 
clinching and feeding the guy. The guy took so many shots. Like, I think they counted 31 in a row he took there while he was in trouble. Uh, Jenkins was game and kept going, but Jakar Close finally got that knockout win. And uh, it was justified stoppage because, yeah, he was wobbly when he got up and uh, it was time to, you know, declare Jakar the winner. Yeah. Um, you take 31 unanswered shots in the first round and just more of the same in the second. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I give Jenkins all the credit in the world. Super tough. Maybe tough. Uh, too tough for his own good. But at the end of the day, Jakar close. Fantastic win. Dominant performance. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing more from this young man as he goes through his MMA career. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, he got 50K for that. Uh, uh, one of the performance of the night. Huge knockout. And and uh, loved it. Uh, an awesome, uh, an awesome display. Uh, okay, uh, Jesse, the body snatcher Ronson uh, was unable to um, do his normal uh, body snatching and uh, got submitted by Hafa Garcia. Uh, tell me about that one. Well, uh, Ronson looked good in the beginning. They both looked good. They were both trying to figure each other out in the first round. Um, and then Garcia got the, got two takedowns on Ronson, but Ronson was able to get pop right back up. But eventually, uh, Garcia was able to get him down and get his back. And then it, as soon as he got that back, it was just a matter of time. Garcia took his time to sink in that choke. And then once he did, it was all over. Um, and it was quick. It was fast. The way he sunk that in, it was um, Ronson didn't have a chance to fight the hands to get it off his neck. It was over. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, I like Jesse Ronson. I've seen him fight a ton. Uh, another Canadian that's uh, fought uh, south of the border, or north of the border here, uh, fought on that score fighting series quite a bit. Aggression FC, uh, yeah, has um, you know been a guy that's uh, an up and comer for a lot of years. Uh, he's you know 36 now, out of London, and um, yeah, he's a guy that uh, you know I I always cheer for and, and hope he does well but uh he was um yeah submitted in this one late second round had to um had to tap to the rear naked choke so uh hopefully he gets an opportunity soon and can uh get rid of that loss off his record with a good performance um okay last fight i want to mention uh you could mention some other ones but uh martin budai and chris barnett um love chris barnett uh what an entertainer dancing a lot as it comes in uh his his flip was probably the funniest flip you've ever seen uh uh from a really big short big guy uh but uh budai got the decision win out of this one yeah i'm always impressed with barnett's athleticism for how big he is he is ridiculously athletic but at the same time i think he kind of leans on that too much and goes away from the technique and budai Perfect technique, especially when he's going in, throws the way he throws his strikes, his hands are always up. And the fact that he's very crafty at controlling his opponent up against the cage and throwing strikes as they're up against the cage. He was very good at that in this fight. Um, great win by Budai. He looks like he's going to definitely be a player in the heavyweight division. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, okay, another uh, UFC card behind us. Uh, thanks for all your great takes, as always, man. Uh, awesome, awesome observations. 
and uh, you know the game better than anybody. So uh, always good to hear you uh, give your comments and uh, expert analysis on it. Uh, we've got a, a, a smaller card again next Saturday coming up. Uh, we've got the main event of Amanda Lemos against Jessica Andrade. Uh, I sent you the fight poster. Um, Andrade looks a little more. Is it was she more feminine or more masculine in that poster I sent you? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more masculine. I, you know, like yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it was that was crazy. Somebody messed up big time and. <laughs> and put Bilal Muhammad Muhammad, as yeah. the picture of Jessica Andrade. <laughs> I know Andrade is, you know, definitely has masculine qualities to her and looks like a little tank, but but uh, I don't think she looks like Bilal Muhammad. That was, I don't know how a guy making a poster uh, sends that out. Uh, how does he make that mistake? How does anybody make that kind of a mistake? Well, especially when the guy just, you know, somebody else goes over his shoulder and goes, Oh, that's kind of cool. You put Bilal Muhammad's like face for uh, Andrade. That's cool. It's a different way of doing it. Okay, cool. Let's go with it. Yeah, that was just bizarre. I, I got that sent to me by Stefan. I sent it to you. I sent it to Scott. I sent it to a bunch of my MMA buddies, and uh, we had quite the laugh there. Uh, I'll have to try to – I think I'll post it uh, up on the website for people to laugh at too. That was insane, but uh, – Okay, speaking of the, this fight, though, uh, who do you got? Uh, who, who, who do you think emerges victor out of this, this one? I think it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be a tough fight. I'm going to take Andrade. I'm going to take Andrade because of the fact that uh, she's been there before. She's been in big wars before like this. And I there's if there's one thing about Andrade that you can take to the bank with you at all times, it's her power. Yeah. She's going to be stronger than her opponent, usually in every fight. And and this fight is no different. So I'm gonna look. I'm looking at Andrade to, be, to beat uh, Lemos in this uh, particular battle. I I think you're bang on there. And uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's good uh, uh, good analysis. Uh, okay, just let's blast through it. Uh, Coleman, Clay Guida, Claudio Perez. Uh, Clay is always fun to watch. Um, you know, brings the Energizer Bunny. Uh, I I want to mention Tanner Bolzer though. Uh, friend of the show been on a few podcasts with him uh, on the complete sports media uh he fights an undefeated fighter in alexander romanov um yeah another guy coming in uh, undefeated uh let's hope tanner uh, can put on an amazing performance as usual if he's able to beat this undefeated fighter in romanov that would be a huge feather in his cap in his cap for his mma career going forward and that would be bigger fights going forward too for him if he's able to beat Romanov in this uh, upcoming match. Yeah. Uh, we also have another Canadian on the card, Charles Air Jordan uh, fights Lando Venata, one of Scott Holborn's uh, favorite fighters. That kicks off the main card. Uh, love Charles Jordan, a uh, great fighter, and uh, I think he's one of those guys that we can see contend uh, top 10 eventually uh, in his career. Yeah, love. I, I love this matchup. Because both guys are throw great diversity of strikes, can be flashy, but yet still effective. And I, I really like the way that Venata fights. I, I'm, I'm just like Scott. I love the way that that guy fights. And I really like the way that Charles Jordan fights. I think this is a win-win for them and for us, the fans. More for us, the fans. Because this is going to be, that's going to be a great fight to watch. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. 
<clears throat> and uh, on the prelims, uh, we've got another Canadian, Mark Andre, the Power Bar Barrio, uh, fights Jordan Wright, a uh, young up-and-comer that's uh, uh, looking really good in his MMA career so far. Uh, love the Power Bar. Uh, seen him fight live tons of times here north of the border. And, um, yeah, I'm glad to see three Canadians on this card. Uh, should be fun. Yeah, should be fun. I'm looking forward to the card. And uh, I, I, I definitely... I'm looking forward to in the prelims to see Dwight Grant fight again. I, I think he has potential. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the octagon once again. Uh, great. Um, just want to mention Errol Spence Jr. Uh, beat uh, Ugas uh, in the 10th round stoppage uh, uh, this weekend, Saturday. Uh, puts together a huge battle uh, between him and Terrence Crawford. Um, Spence has uh, three, four belts now. Uh, Crawford has the other one. Um, I'm excited. I can't wait. I hope they can match them up very soon. This fight has been a long time coming. It is between uh, two undefeated fighters. Uh, their paths were eventually going to come come across each other at some point, and now is the time. Okay. Uh, they're both at the peak of their the height of their powers. I am very much looking forward to seeing this fight. Yeah. I think this is going to be as high level as it gets. And it's, this is for all the marbles. This is for pound for pound, the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you and I should be getting together for that one. Uh, We should uh, make sure we get together. Uh, I can't wait. I think uh, it's been a long, long, long time coming and um, two of the best to ever do it. Uh, it. It should be one of those fights that we talk about for years and years. Yes, yes. And on top of that, no fighter is ducking each other. No. They're going to meet each other in their primes. That's the way it always should be. Yeah. I love Boxing isn't always like that either. So, yes. Nice to see when it is. Yeah. Okay, man. This was actually a, a little bit longer of a podcast uh, than I expected, but uh, great analysis and insight as always, man. And uh, uh, I'm so appreciative, even though you've got a broken chicken wing there, uh, you're still coming in and and given your great takes and awesome analysis, uh, we'll miss you tonight. Uh, really wish you could be there for our wrap party, but um, yeah, we'll see you very soon. I hope. And um, yeah, keep in touch uh, through the week. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the USC next weekend. And um, yeah, talk, we'll talk soon. Yes. Um, say hello to everybody at the party for me and uh, tell them I'm healing up by watching basketball. That's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm healing by watching basketball. And eating lots of leftovers. Eating a ton of leftovers. Ton. Nice. <laughs> okay, buddy. A pleasure as always. Take care, man. Cheers. Bye for now. Bye for now. Cheers. Okay. Another edition of Complete Sports Media is done for Monday. Wow. Um, yeah, that turned into a couple of hours, did it? Wow, two hours. I guess I went on a bit of a rant at the beginning. Uh, talked a lot and uh, we, we didn't get into the basketball and the mixed martial arts coverage till uh, a little bit after. But anyway, I got to run. I'm going for Easter dinner. So um, I just wanted to thank our partners and sponsors. Uh, Anchor FM, great, the best at uh, what they do. Uh, fantastic at posting on multiple podcast platforms for us. An easiest place to make a podcast. Uh, Verbero, hockey equipment and apparel company. Best uh, industry leader in technology, performance and value. Uh, V350 stick is what you need. Pampas of Possibilities. Love them, love them, love them. Uh, 
get them to bring your, their love to your home and fix it up so everybody's impressed. And Forever Living, the aloe vera company for health and beauty products. Uh, get them on our website, uh, discounted prices as always. So love you guys lots. Thanks for sticking in. Man, you're a trooper. We love you. Love you, love you, love you. Uh, yeah, visit our websites. Tell everybody, tell your friends, tell your family. Um, we'll keep spreading the love. Uh, have a great week ahead. Happy Easter. Bye for now.